Paul says, if you will judge yourselves, you will not be judged. I judged myself a long time ago, a few decades ago, to be unworthy. I judged myself to be a sinner, lost and undone in the sight of God. I realized that I could not get to heaven on my own, and I judged myself and said, I need somebody to take care of Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. What should we be concerned about as born-again believers? What is the thing that we're looking for next on God's calendar? And the very, very short answer to that is the next big thing on God's calendar is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Wow, okay, thanks for coming. God bless you. It does bear a little explanation. We are so inundated with information. We read our Bibles, we do Bible studies, we talk about the Bible at least here every Sunday, we then study it midweek. And and the thing that I've seen that happens is sometimes we are lulled to sleep on the big issues. Sometimes the biggest of things that we should be excited about become old hat. We just kind of, yeah, 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 I know all about that. We talked about that during Christmas. That was, that was the issue at hand whenever the wise men came seeking, he, who, where is he this born king of the Jews? And Herod did not know, so he called for the chief priests and the scribes. And he asked them, where is it that the Messiah, the Savior, the born that's going to be born king of the Jews is going to be born? And they said, oh, no problem, Bethlehem. Even quoted the scripture for him. And then they went home. No anticipation, no expectation, reading their Bible and, and knowing the answer was an answer in and of itself. And you can ask any person who's been a Christian any time is the Lord coming back and most of them will say yes and that's the end of the conversation I heard a story one time it was a wife who had a husband that was unsaved and she was constantly concerned about him constantly praying for him to be saved finally one night he gave his heart to the Lord and he was just so wound up and so excited. It was like a, a kid on Christmas morning. He had opened up this new thing. And so they, that night they're, they're going to bed and, and he, he lays there and he tosses and he turns and he tosses and he turns. And finally he sits up on the side of the bed and she said, what is wrong with you? We need to go to sleep. And he said, I just can't stop thinking about the fact that the Lord's coming back. And there's so many people that I know that don't know him. So many people that are going to die and go to hell if I don't tell them about it. And she said, oh, my goodness. She said, I've heard that all my life. Would you just lay down and go to sleep? And I'm afraid that a whole lot of the church has laid down and went to sleep. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes it this way. He says, wake up! If you weren't ready for that, that probably scared you. (laughs) But you know what it tells us about the coming of the Lord? It's going to happen that quick. And it's going to happen with the shout, with the voice of the archangel. And the Lord himself is going to descend into the clouds and snatch away the church. I showed you last week what that means. 
That word there, to catch away, and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We read it last week, so if you missed last week, be sure and tune in. Zach will have it on the podcast soon enough. But I can even do it again, one more time. And Angie says, ooh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Crisp, $20 bill. Now, that word in 1 Thessalonians, to catch away, is, is that right there? <laughs> to pluck or to snatch is the actual word there. Sometimes when we get talking about the rapture, I talked to, was talking to a guy, and he asked me one time, he said, y'all believe in the rapture of the church, don't you? And I said, absolutely. He said, well, show me where it is in the Bible. And I said, it's not there, friend. But the word that it represents is there. In the first Thessalonians chapter 4, it says in a, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, Paul writes and says that he's going to come and he's going to snatch, catch away, pluck out the church, those who are believers. And so the thing that we've got to do is realize, as I talked about it last week, this one thing is one of the most signless events it's one of the biggest events that will ever happen, but it's also one of the most signless events that there is. Now, uh, and he had First Thessalonians on there. We'll read it real quick. We'll zip through it. I promise I won't stop for any commentary, maybe. And now, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing, and he says, I want you to know what happened to the believers who have died. These people had, had, were, were really upset, didn't understand how this was going to happen. And he said, so that you won't grieve like others who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, hello, that means he's coming back. It says that whenever, whenever he, uh, he comes back and returns, that God will bring with him the believers who have already died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. It was a revelation that Paul received. We who are, who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who died, who have died in the Lord, okay? They start a little earlier than us because they got six feet further to go, okay? But we're not going to prevent this. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, get up, amen? I shared with you last week. Whenever he bent down into that tomb and called Lazarus forth, Lazarus, come forth. If he had not specified Lazarus, <gasps> oops, it would have been too early. If he had just said, come forth, everybody that had died righteously would have come forth. But it was just Lazarus because he qualified it. Okay, it says, first the believers who have died will rise from their grave. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words, amen? But sometimes we're asleep. And sometimes we don't think about it enough. See, here's the deal. Whenever, whenever in churches, now realize those of you that, have been here with me for a long time as your pastor. I mention the Lord's return quite often. We are probably a unique animal along those lines. There are lots and lots of churches that do not talk about the second coming. And then there are those who, who absolutely... Have you ever seen anybody that set a date for when the Lord's coming back? 
Bible's very, very clear. It says that even Jesus himself does not know the day and the hour. Only the Father in heaven. The angels don't know. Jesus doesn't know. Nobody knows. But it also tells us that we can see the signs of the time. It says whenever you see a fig tree blooming, you know summer's close by. Whenever you see a bunch of buzzards hanging around in a tree, you know there's a carcass nearby. In other words, there are things that we can see and things that are happening. In Matthew 24, it says that there'll be earthquakes and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars. Gosh, I don't know about you. That sounds kind of familiar. And so it says, don't worry, though, because this is just the beginning. In other words, we, I think, are at the midnight hour and about one minute before whenever he's going to come back. And we can see those things. But here's the deal. If anybody tells you, and it it tells us explicitly in Matthew, if somebody says, here's the Lord, or this is when he's going to come back, don't believe it. I knew a pastor. I still know him, but I knew him a little better back then. I was talking to him, and he said, you know, there's all these people that set these dates, and this was many years ago. And he said, but how would you like to be the pastor of a guy who wrote the book 1988 reasons the Lord's coming back in 1988. He's in my church. <laughs> and he said, boy, he said, you, you talk about a lot of people razzing you about that. Whatever the person that's in your church wrote a book that was published and said 1988 reasons the Lord's coming back in 1988. For every millennium, especially, in, in the year roughly 1990, I mean, 994, there was a big thing as much as word could travel back in those days, that the Lord was coming back. Whenever the thousand-year reign was on at, at the year 1000, I don't know how many of you were alive in 1999, but there was a big thing, oh, the Lord's coming back. church I was in and serving in at that time had a watch night service every year. And you want to talk about a full church? Amen. We'd start about 8 o'clock, and we'd preach till midnight, and then we'd dismiss the fellowship, and everybody would eat. And so we'd take tag team preaching. All of us that were on staff, we'd usually have a, have a guest preacher, so it'd be like four hours of preaching, have a little intermission, a little worship and things in between. But I was one of the last ones to go, and I, I, I told him, I said, here's the deal. I said, everybody's talking about the Lord coming back. And I said, it will not be tonight. <gasps> oh, it was like I said, Jesus wasn't Lord anymore. And I said, how can I affirmedly tell you that? It won't be tonight. I said, because it says in such a time as you think not, that's when the Lord's coming back. And I said, everybody thinks it'll be tonight. It might be tomorrow. It might be at 12.05. But I'll guarantee it won't be at midnight when it, when it turns from 1999 to 2000. It says in such a time as you think not. It says that nobody knows the hour and the day. And, and there's so many things. It says, Paul says it'll come like a thief in the night. Peter also reverberates that and says it will be like a thief coming in the middle of the night. And Zach, I know I'm running you all over the place. I am just zipping here, there, and yonder. So here's the deal. There's a few things. In, the, in our New Testament Bibles, there are almost 320 references to his second coming. We're not going to read all those scriptures. And somebody said, whoo, thank goodness. In the Old Testament, there roughly one-fifth of the Old Testament refers to Jesus' coming and his second coming. One-fifth of the Old Testament. 
of that one-fifth, roughly two, one-third of it deals with his coming to save mankind, to take away our sins. The other two-thirds of that one-fifth refers to the time when he's going to bring salvation and visit judgment upon those that do not believe. There is scripture upon scripture upon scripture upon scripture that talks about his second coming. We talked about the people that set dates. That's one of the things that we've got to watch against. The other is the people ignore what the Bible says altogether. There are some churches today that do not ever talk about the second coming. And part of that is because it seems so absolutely incredible. When you look at the fact that the Lord is going to come back, and bada boom, bada bing, we are going to be out of here. Sometimes people get so logical that they can't see what the Lord has already said. And as I said, there's 320 references in the New Testament alone. It's going to happen in two stages. One is the Lord's going to come in the, in the clouds, and he's going to snatch us out of here. He's going to pluck us out just like Miss Angie as quick or quicker than Miss Angie took away my $20 bill. We're going to be out of here. Fact is, it's quicker. Paul says it's in the twinkling of an eye, and that is the amount of time that it takes light to reflect off your pupil. There's not going to be a preparation time. There's not going to be, I, oh, I, I'll make things right whenever that time happens. We've got to be ready. Fact is, the Bible tells us that when that day happens, there's going to be people that are caught unexpectedly, that there'll be two people working in a field, and suddenly one of them's gone. That person was unprepared because it came so quickly. There's another parable that Jesus gave. It was about the ten virgins. And half of them were ready, waiting, had their oil in their lamps, and their lamps were lit, and they were waiting for the, the bridegroom to come. The other half of that group had, had filled their lamps and had, were ready, and because it was so long... They forgot to keep up with it. So it's going to come, it's going to catch some people. It's like, ooh, I didn't want to expect it so quick. And it's, uh, for other people, it's going to come, I wasn't expecting it to be so long. And see, here's the deal. The Bible is very, very clear about it. That we've got to, we've got to talk about it. We've got to, we've got to talk about when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, the things that we are going to, going to experience in that time. So we've got the people that, that are date setters, and you can't go by any of that. you got people that ignore it completely. Then you got the ultra-focused. You ever met anybody that that's all they ever talked about? So much so that it kind of deadens our hearing to hearing that fact. And then there are the people who just kind of in, it incidentally comes up every now and then. But Paul talks about it. We mentioned this last week. As often as we celebrate communion, we're celebrating the, what the Lord did for us until when? He comes again. Every time we celebrate communion, it's us mentioning the fact that he is coming back. In John chapter 14, he says this. He said, don't, don't worry about the little things. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and that's a different version, translation on the screen. I got it memorized in a, a different one. But he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, some translate it rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare that place for you, what? What? I'm coming again. 
going to receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Amen? He's coming back. Thank you, Miss Emma. He's coming back. I'll give you all a chance to get in on that one. He's coming back, and what we've got to do is be ready. But sometimes the questions, and I told you last week, I'll, I'll open it up one more time for this. If you have a question, maybe something I say sparks a question in you that I don't answer, uh, text me, call me, email me. All that bulletin uh, information is in the bulletin. And I had a couple of people ask questions. And one of them is, well, if we're ultimately going to heaven anyway, if heaven is our destination, then why doesn't he go ahead and take us home? Why doesn't he get us out of here? Because how many of you have realized in living life, and some of you are younger than others, but how many of you have already realized uh, where we're living is not perfect? And I think I'd rather be where it's perfect than where it's not perfect. And so why doesn't the Lord just go ahead and take me home whenever I get saved? And, and this was one of the things that, that the apostles dealt with even. And realized it was a very short time, but in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and Zach, this is one that I'm going to read. I've had, poor Zach, I've given him a workout on the computer. This is what Peter writes. And he said, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last day, scoffers will come. How many of you ever heard a scoffer about the Lord coming back? They say, oh, that's just, that's just fairy tale. They say it about the Bible, but especially about his second coming. In the last day, scoffers will come mocking the truth and follow their own desires. The Lord's not there. He's not real. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And they'll say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? realize that this was just a few years after Christ was crucified and people were already saying it. Where's that promise? Why ain't he coming back to get us? And from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Like Solomon, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Everything's the same from the very beginning until now. That's not real. It's not going to happen. Everything's always the same. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long. Uh, I missed that one before you changed it. <laughs> uh, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. And then he used that water, the water, to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Talking about Noah's flood. And by that same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. That's the next way it's going to be destroyed. And they're being kept for the day of judgment, which will be at the end of the time that we're going to talk about, the tribulation. And it'll, uh, when the ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. His promise is he's coming back. John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place. If I go prepare that place, I will come again, receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also forever. We talked about Paul's uh, making sure that we weren't ignorant concerning the Lord's return, that the Lord himself is going to come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And the trump of God will sound, and then we are going to rise up with those who have already gone to be with the Lord. So, 
The Lord's not really being slow about that promise. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. So in other words, whenever that promise keeps going, one more day, and so that many more people can get in. Realize that time in heaven is not like time here on earth. Sometimes we say, well, don't those people in heaven get tired of waiting without their physical glorified body? They're there in spirit. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that at that moment, whenever he comes back, the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, at that particular moment, the people who have already died in the Lord will be reunited with their physical body as old, as decayed, as Many pieces as there are, and it's going to happen, Paul says in the twinkling of an eye, this that is corruptible shall be made incorruptible. And they're going to rise up out of the graves with their glorified body. Now somebody says, don't they get tired of waiting around as a spirit in heaven? No, because they're not waiting. There is no time as we conceive it in heaven. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So it's been 2,000 years since the Lord was crucified. 2,000 years that we on this earth have been waiting for his return, but in heaven it's like, hmm, yesterday he got crucified. Amen? So he's being patient so that everyone can have that opportunity. We talked about it last week. It tells us in Matthew's gospel that this, this gospel, the good news of Christ, will be preached in all the world. And then the end will come. I think that there is a given moment. Again, this is, this is the Phillips translation. I think that that tells us that there is a given moment in time when everybody that's alive on the face of the earth at one particular moment has had an opportunity to receive or reject the gospel. And when they've made their decision, it's over. The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Hello, does that sound like it's going to sneak up on us if we're not watching? It's going to happen like a thief. How many of you know that if, if you knew when the thief was coming, you'd have it ready for him? Amen? And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. The Lord made the earth in the beginning, and it was chaos. And then he made everything on the earth. All the plants, all the animals had Adam and Eve and uh, made them, and then the earth was replenished, okay? Then it was all destroyed by a flood. Didn't destroy the earth, it renovated it. In this fire that's going to happen again, there will be a renovation that's going to take place. And that's going to be the day when we're there with the Lord and we're not going to have to worry about all of it. So everything around us is going to be destroyed like this and what is holy and godly uh, uh, lives and you should live. Did I read that right? What, what holy and godly lives you should live. I did not read it right. So looking forward to that day of God. 
and hurrying it along. Like John said, even so, Lord, come quickly. And on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. This earth is not going to be destroyed again. It's going to be renovated. It's a new earth. And he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. So, dear friends, while you're waiting on these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. In other words, be ready. In Mark chapter 13, what I say unto one, I say unto all, watch. Be ready. Be vigilant. So here's the deal. And we talked about this one last week. I think you still got it on there, Zach. But uh, uh, Romans chapter 11, this goes right along hand in hand with what Peter said. Do we still have that one on there? All right, I'll read it to you then. Romans chapter 11. Says this. And he'll have it up there soon enough. I want you to understand this mystery. Realize this is a mystery. Realize it does not make sense. Realize that for our finite brains, it's hard for us to wrap around the fact that we are going to suddenly disappear and be with the Lord. But here's the thing that doesn't make it untrue. I don't understand atomic fission, but I know they got a bomb that will blow everything up. Amen? I don't understand a lot of things. I mean, I, I am totally ignorant as to some things, but I know it's real because it happens. And, and here's the deal. We don't have to understand it. We just got to be ready. We got to know the Lord and have him in our lives. And, and so, anyway, in Romans chapter 11, verse uh, 25. Sorry, Zach. I'm, I'm running you <laughs> crazy back there. All right, so Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brother and sister, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. In other words, because we're saved, that we won't beat our chests and say, I've accomplished something great. Hey, it's all about grace. If it wasn't for grace, none of us would be saved. So that you will not feel proud about yourself. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. Do you realize that Israel, at this time, does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? He came for them, and they did not receive him. But the reason is that they have hard hearts, but this will last only, uh, one translation says, for a season, until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Some translations say, the, to the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That word fullness, and I mentioned this, just mentioned it as a byline last week, that word fullness is a legal and nautical term. And it has to do with, the, the term actually refers to the number of people that it takes for a sailing ship to sail legally. The number of sailors, the number of oarmen, the number of soldiers that have to be on a ship in order for it to legally sail. And so in other words, before this thing can happen, there is a, jump back to that verse there, Zach. I'm giving Zach a workout. 
He's going to appreciate all those that are back there on the computer all the more. (laughs) But it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That word is that legal term that represents the number of people that it takes to legally sail a ship. In other words, and it also tells us in Revelation that God knew before the foundation of the world all the names that would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So before there was one person, before Adam was made... God already had a number of people that he knew would receive him in mind. So at that particular moment, when this gospel of the kingdom, according to Matthew 24, is preached around the world, everybody has a chance to receive or reject that gospel. When he reaches that full number, that legal number, see, he had to have it already in mind for it to be legal now. Because otherwise, it would be condemning somebody to hell. He knew the number of people that would receive him. So he's got a number in mind, and he had that number in mind before he ever said, let there be. Now, I don't know if that turns your crank. It turns my crank. To know that God knew about all this, and he knew the number of people that there would be, and when he reaches that number, it's all over but to cry. And the shout, and yes, Miss Emma, thank you. So here's the deal. We talked about how it happens. We talked about when it happens. And uh, we even talked about last week that whenever he comes again, and this is uh, Hebrews chapter 9. This is the one that I had you put in there, Zach, so he's ready for this one. It says, so Christ also was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. In other words, he came, he lived a sinless life, he died on that cross to pay the price for our sins. How many ever sinned? Christ paid the price for that so that you could be forgiven. And it says that he came once. He's not going to do it again. It's already over, it's already said, it's already done. He came once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people and he will not come again or he will come again not to deal with our sins see if you're saved if you're sitting in this room and you have already made jesus christ the lord of your life if you have already prayed we'll put in air quotes a sinner's prayer god i'm lost and undone i know that i'm a sinner i need a savior Would you please come into my life and into my heart? I need you. Would you forgive my sin? Would you come into my heart and live for the rest of my life? Would you be my Lord and my Savior? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? If you prayed that prayer, then guess what? Your sin has already been dealt with. Some people have this idea that that whenever he comes back that he's going to deal with everybody with an iron fist and it's going to be terrible. No, he's going to first come in the clouds and he's going to pluck away. Think about that $20 bill that Miss Angie got. He's going to pluck us out of here. We are not going for judgment. We're going for rewards. Paul says if you will judge yourselves, you will not be judged. I judged myself a long time ago a few decades ago, to be unworthy. I judged myself to be a sinner, lost and undone in the sight of God. I realized that I could not get to heaven on my own, and I judged myself and said, I need somebody to take care of this. I won't be judged anymore. 
And this is what it says, he, he's coming again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await him. Amen. Those that are watching and waiting, those that are ready, those that, that are, are prepared when that time comes that he is going to come back and get them. Somebody ought to be saying amen about right there. <laughs> so here's the deal. This is going to be a good thing. If we are ready, it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened. It is going to be so awesome. I don't know about you. Again, my mind works continually, and I, I have thought about this. I have worked out the rapture in so many different ways. I mean, like I said last week, if you were on a plane and unsaved at that time, and both those pilot and co-pilot are Christians, you are in trouble. But I've thought about this. See, I, I think it's the very thing that there'll be so many people that'll be snatched away, plucked out, that that's what gives rise to the Antichrist being in power. Because there's going to be so many people out of pocket, and they're going to make up all kind of conspiracies, and they're going to come up with UFOs took them, and all this kind of stuff. And I think the Antichrist is going to say, hey, guys, because he's already going to be on the scene, probably on the scene right now. We just don't know who he is yet. And he's going to say, if you guys will just give me a chance, I'll bring everybody together. And it's going to be under the guise of peace. That's what Revelation tells us. And that's what gives rise to the Antichrist. The good thing is, we ain't got to worry about it. <laughs> you need to have your lamp trimmed and lit. You need to be ready all the time, watching and waiting. But here's the deal. There's so many things in our New Testament. Again, almost 320 scriptures related to this time when it happens. So he's going to come in the air, and he's going to pluck us out of here. Then we will go away with him for seven years. Three and a half years into that is, is not a terrible time. It's going to be bad enough, but that's when the, the Antichrist is coming to reign. And for the first little part of that, it's going to seem like peace on earth. Three and a half years in is what begins what is called the Great Tribulation. And that last three and a half years of that seven is going to be hell on earth. And I don't use that term lightly. Let me tell you, friend, you don't want to go through that. I've said, I said it last week. I'll say it again. There's some people that say a pre-trib pre rapture of the church. Some say mid-trib. Some say post-tribulation rapture of the church. A post-tribulation rapture of the church means nothing. If God's elect, if God's own people are going to have to go through hell on earth, what's the point? At the very least, it's going to be a mid-trib rapture, but I do believe that the preponderance of the evidence in the New Testament points toward a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. If you believe in post-trib, don't get your nose out of joint at me. Amen? I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. I'm just telling you what I read in the Bible. And as I've said many, many times, I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but I've got my ticket and I want to go on the first bus load. Whenever it is, <laughs> I want to be one of the first ones on the bus and riding there, come on, driver, drive fast. Get us out of here. And so here's the deal. I just felt like I felt compelled to preach this message. I felt compelled to, to share with you because, see, here's the thing. We're living in a day and a time where people have questions. And if they ask us something about this and we don't know, we're missing a grand opportunity. Again, we don't have to have all the answers. The only thing we need to know is how to make it right with God. 
See, if you've got it right with God, you don't have to worry about all that tribulation. You don't have to worry about all those negative things that are going to happen because we're going to be out of here and we're going to be with the Lord forever. That's what First Thessalonians says. So here's the deal. If you are here this morning and there's even the slightest glint of doubt about where you're at with the Lord, if there's even the slightest doubt that you might be one of those like the ten virgins, they were, they were in the crowd. They were, they were virgins. They were ready. They had their oils full and lit, and they ran out of oil, and the fire went out. And when they came, when the Lord came, they weren't ready. I don't know what all that means, but I know that we need to be ready and wait. Maybe you're here, and you have never made that commitment. I can guarantee you, according to what Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father except by him. This is one of those times when it is down to the nitty-gritty. And I'm going to lay it out there as, as bold and as plain as I can. We're all going to live forever. We are eternal. When, when God made us and we became a soul, that soul lives forever. The only question is, where are you going to spend eternity? Only two choices. And this is not one of those Oprah Winfrey, all roads lead to God. There's one way, and that's Jesus Christ. We're living in a day and a time when that message makes us sound mean. People call us narrow-minded, intolerant, you name it. There's a ton of words that people are using. Here's the deal. The only reason I talk about it is because I don't want anybody to go to hell. He's being patient on our behalf. Not wishing that anyone would be destroyed. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance.
I won't be judged anymore. And this is what it says. He, he's coming again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await him. Amen. Those that are watching and waiting, those that are ready, those that, that are, are prepared when that time comes that he is going to come back and get them. Somebody ought to be saying amen about right there. <laughs> so here's the deal. This is going to be a good thing. If we are ready, it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened. It is going to be so awesome. I don't know about you. Again, my mind works continually, and I, I have thought about this. I have worked out the rapture in so many different ways. I mean, like I said last week, if you were on a plane and unsaved at that time, and both those pilot and co-pilot are Christians, you are in trouble. But I've thought about this. See, I, I think it's the very thing that there'll be so many people that'll be snatched away, plucked out, that that's what gives rise to the Antichrist being in power. Because there's going to be so many people out of pocket, and they're going to make up all kind of conspiracies, and they're going to come up with UFOs took them, and all this kind of stuff. And I think the Antichrist is going to say, hey, guys, because he's already going to be on the scene, probably on the scene right now. We just don't know who he is yet. And he's going to say, if you guys will just give me a chance, I'll bring everybody together. And it's going to be under the guise of peace. That's what Revelation tells us. And that's what gives rise to the Antichrist. The good thing is, we ain't got to worry about it. <laughs> you need to have your lamp trimmed and lit. You need to be ready all the time, watching and waiting. But here's the deal. There's so many things in our New Testament. Again, almost 320 scriptures related to this time when it happens. So he's going to come in the air, and he's going to pluck us out of here. Then we will go away with him for seven years. Three and a half years into that is, is not a terrible time. It's going to be bad enough, but that's when the, the Antichrist is coming to reign. And for the first little part of that, it's going to seem like peace on earth. Three and a half years in is what begins what is called the Great Tribulation. And that last three and a half years of that seven is going to be hell on earth. And I don't use that term lightly. Let me tell you, friend, you don't want to go through that. I've said, I said it last week. I'll say it again. There's some people that say a pre-trib pre rapture of the church. Some say mid-trib. Some say post-tribulation rapture of the church. A post-tribulation rapture of the church means nothing. If God's elect, if God's own people are going to have to go through hell on earth, what's the point? At the very least, it's going to be a mid-trib rapture, but I do believe that the preponderance of the evidence in the New Testament points toward a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. If you believe in post-trib, don't get your nose out of joint at me. Amen? I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. I'm just telling you what I read in the Bible. And as I've said many, many times, I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but I've got my ticket and I want to go on the first bus load. Whenever it is, <laughs> I want to be one of the first ones on the bus and riding there, come on, driver, drive fast. Get us out of here. And so here's the deal. I just felt like I felt compelled to preach this message. I felt compelled to, to share with you because, see, here's the thing. We're living in a day and a time where people have questions. And if they ask us something about this and we don't know, we're missing a grand opportunity. 
Again, we don't have to have all the answers. The only thing we need to know is how to make it right with God. See, if you've got it right with God, you don't have to worry about all that tribulation. You don't have to worry about all those negative things that are going to happen because we're going to be out of here and we're going to be with the Lord forever. That's what 1 Thessalonians says. So here's the deal. If you are here this morning, and there's even the slightest glint of doubt about where you're at with the Lord. If there's even the slightest doubt that you might be one of those, like the ten virgins, they were, they were in the crowd. They were, they were virgins, they were ready, they had their oils full and lit, and they ran out of oil and the fire went out, and when they came, when the Lord came, they weren't ready. I don't know what all that means, but I know that we need to be ready and waiting. Maybe you're here and you have never made that commitment. I can guarantee you, according to what Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father except by him. This is one of those times when it is down to the nitty-gritty, and I'm going to lay it out there as, as bold and as plain as I can. We're all going to live forever. We are eternal. When, when God made us and we became a soul, that soul lives forever. The only question is, where are you going to spend eternity? Only two choices. And this is not one of those Oprah Winfrey, all roads lead to God. There's one way, and that's Jesus Christ. We're living in a day and a time when that message makes us sound mean. People call us narrow-minded, intolerant, you name it. There's a ton of words that people are using. Here's the deal. The only reason I talk about it is because I don't want anybody to go to hell. He's being patient on our behalf. Not wishing that anyone would be destroyed. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. We work with people. We live next door to people. We meet people in Walmart, at a restaurant. And I realize I'm super sensitive to this message because God called me to be a preacher. But one of the first questions I ask myself, where are they headed? When people come in here on Sunday morning, where are they headed? If I don't know. We got to live with this in the forefront we can't we can't just be super focused on it but here's the deal it's it's close i don't know exactly when it's going to happen but it's closer than it's ever been they were looking for it two thousand years ago and we're looking for it today the lord's not slack concerning his promise he is coming back with every head bowed every eye closed are you ready are you ready? If it were to take place just as we were walking out of this building, if, the, if, the, if we heard the trumpet of God and the, the voice of God cried out, come on up, would you be in that number? This is not a time to be self-engrossed. It's not a time to be embarrassed. It's not a time to, to think about anything other than the fact if it were to be today, would I be one of those? of that number if it is not 
I encourage you. I implore you, please be saved. If you're not right, if you're not exactly where you need to be, then make it right today. Nobody's looking around. But if that's you, and you simply say, I want to make it right with God, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray with you? Yes, yes. Anyone else? Yes. I see that hand. You can put them back down. Anybody else? Very quickly. I just need to make it right with the Lord. Anyone else? Very quickly. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to mean it from your heart. And if you want to pray your own prayer, that's fine. But if you want me to pray with you, this is what I would tell you to pray. Heavenly Father, I need you. I am lost and undone without you. I want to be where you're at. And should that be today or should that be after I am gone, then, Lord, that's fine. But the one thing I want to have the assurity in my heart for is that I'm ready. 